Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, you're back on Connect and Move Radio. I'm your host, Andy Fortuna. And today, today I'm excited to, to bring in a guest that I've been wanting to, to bring on. So it just has a lot of fire, has a lot of passion, um, a lot of good stuff to share. So uh, without further ado, I bring in Zach. Uh, Zach, just introduce yourself and just let us the listeners know a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'll hit the quick spark notes because I, 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 it's crazy on other podcasts. I'm like, damn, my, it, my brief intro is not that brief anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I graduated from PT school three years ago in upstate New York. Uh, I, I was doing strength and conditioning as well after that and shadowing a lot. I taught during school and that really solidified my love for teaching, and especially uh, mentoring students teaching them to think why more than just memorize. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got my dream job out in Boston PT and wellness through networking with my colleague, Matt. And uh, so I'm a big advocate of networking as well. Mm -hmm. Ultimately how I'm here on this conversation right now through social media. Yes, sir. um, And yeah, I just, I run, I run an educational platform, simple strength physio, where I, I do my best to put my authentic spin on, empowerment model PT, the current most evidence-based models, which really shift the, the, the focus away from us fixing to us facilitating and guiding and empowering. And it's been mm-hmm. really fun. And, uh, and just recently started up a new company slash online platform, the Level Up Initiative, which is an online mentorship group for new grad and, and PT students focused in mindset, critical thinking, and improving the soft skills, which is, in my opinion, the missing link in healthcare. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, um, and I want to go a little bit more. Talk to us a little bit more about Boston PT, how you got into it, what you guys do, and then go a little farther into that. Yeah, man. So um, so I ended up, when I was still in PT school, like with six months left, I, I stumbled across Matt Ibrahim's stuff on like the Personal Trainer Development Center. Uh-huh. And I was like, I read his bio and I was like, damn. I was like, this dude is fired up about life. Like he's just... <laughs> He's got it, man. So I, so I just reached out and, you know, I was like, I was like, Hey, like, I don't know what to, I'm not expecting anything besides just to um, start some dialogue. I really appreciate the work you do. I love your passion. Here's a little bit about me. If you're interested in like networking and talking shop, just let me know. And uh, he got back to me and we ended up just hitting it off. My sister lived in Boston. Mm -hmm. I came up to visit. And the rest is history. We were, wow. I was working at like a big mill type of corporate PT clinic in New York. And Matt was like, dude, this guy, Dave is opening up this new clinic. It's going to be amazing. It's an amazing opportunity. Like barbells, kettlebells, like the way you want to practice. And I was like, say no more. <laughs> no digas mas. So wow. I got my butt up to Boston and the rest is history. It's been unreal. The population that we treat is a very active population. I work with a lot of weightlifters, CrossFitters endurance athletes your general ortho mix and uh, mm-hmm. we just worked with the boston blades a, a women's professional ice hockey team this winter mm-hmm. so it's a great it's a great population it's, it's really when i say dream job it's my dream job that is awesome and, and talk to us a little bit more how you got into social media and how simple strength physio uh, came to be yeah well like i said i um i I always loved teaching. I always loved that aspect of it, inspiring students. And, you know, I think for me, the hardest thing was coming out as a new grad. I was really intimidated and scared because I felt like who the hell is going to want to listen to me. Um, The classic sort of fears that go through probably the majority of people that are starting with social media. 
Yep. And ultimately I was just like, screw it. Like I'm, you know what, like I'm just going to do it. And whatever happens, happens. Like Matt definitely pushed me. And mm-hmm. uh, he actually credit to him, like helped me come up with my brand, Simple Strength Physio. But, you know, once I released it, the rest was history. I just kind of got into my groove. I, I tapped into networks and did some collaboration series. And, and here we are today with like, you know, not a killing in terms of followers, but, you know, it's, it's more so I think I really, I really pride myself on keeping my ethics on point and making sure that I'm not, I'm selective of who I support and who I really advocate for. Cause I think there's a lot of misinformation out there that leverages on some more fear mongering type of marketing. And um, mm-hmm. that also isn't supported by evidence, but it gets a ton of follows. So Absol- you know, absolutely. I'm not willing to do that. So I'll keep my 15 K, but it's an engaged group of like really awesome students and network that follow me. And, and I think that's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about. And you kind of, um, talked about it in early on is networking yeah. right it's not and most people think most people think hey it's about getting as many followers as possible not necessarily yeah it, it helps to get all the attention or the attention i mean the amount of the attention but it's about the quality it's quantity and quality uh always mix in especially when it comes to this right it's not the quantity of people you have but it's the quality of people that you have and the amount of information and the quality of information that you're giving and i think you're doing a phenomenal job whether your numbers are growing, whether it's your following growing, or the fact that you're the following that you already have relate to you even more. So that in a sense is growing in itself. Yeah, 100%. It's um, like I said, man, I get messages like on a daily basis from people that are just like, thank you so much for like, standing up for what's right in healthcare, like inspire us, da 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 da. And like, that's what it's all about. Because I just see so much. I see so much stuff that triggers me. And um, it's just really inspiring to see that there's a wave of really bright and passionate clinicians that mm-hmm. really want to be part of the game changers that are going to drive positive change into healthcare. care. 100%. You're starting to see more and more of, of that. Obviously, um, it's, it's just a mix of a whole bunch of other things, but you're starting to see more and more advocating. Um, obviously, now you and Hannah Moves have this basically biosocial, uh, psychosocial, and just whole other project together. And then you have Level Up Initiative that you've been able to create, just a whole bunch of good things that are happening now. So using social media in the essence of, as a tool and not just like a segue to get uh, this all the attention, but instead using this attention for what's right and what you believe in. And that's what social media should be for. I mean, I tell people all the time, I don't even monetize my social media. Like, right. like yeah, Level Up is a free thing. Like, yes, it'll be monetized down the road, but like, that's my whole thing is people are so caught up in like, Oh, like what's the perfect time to post? How many times a day do I need to post? I'm like, focus less on that and focus more on your why. Like, why Mm -hmm. are you posting? Why are you doing it? Because when your authenticity is felt, it's, it's a wrap. Like people are going to connect with you and like, people are like, Oh, how should I get started? I'm like, just reflect on your mission, reflect on your vision. Like, don't worry about like, Cause I'm telling you people start up and they make it so salesy and they fail Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. people put their guards up. Like, you don't get to make sales until you have like respect. Right. Do you, do you, do you, yeah, do you follow, sorry. Do you follow uh, uh, Gary V? Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, he talks about all the time, jab, jab, right hook. You can't just go for the right hook for that kill for the sale. You have to go, you have to give as much value as you, as you need to, right? It's all about value. And then at the end, if you have the, the, the sale or the, the, but that I guess monetization is just the byproduct of you providing value for everybody else. Absolutely. 
100%. That's actually Gary V was kind of part of the inspiration for why I decided to keep level up free. Oh, nice. Because I just believe in it. I believe in what I'm doing with it so much and mm-hmm. support with it that like, I wouldn't want to deter anyone from a monetary standpoint because it's about something bigger than all of us. So what, what are your, what are your next few projects that you have, or I guess the upcoming project that you have for level up that you want people to know about? I mean, to be honest, it's kind of crazy because it's already like, I haven't even really done like a hard, hard, hard launch of it in terms of the platform releases in August. Okay. So the online platform starts in August, but it's basically already filled. Like we have, I have 16 mentors and I have Mm -hmm. 96 students. So it's, it's, it's groups of six for each mentor. Mm -hmm. And, um, basically all the mentors have all the core values and, Mm -hmm. and then we go through the four modules each month, which are, they get two modules a month for free based in the four, um, concepts. So the first month is about growth mindset. The second month is about critical thinking. The third month is about listening and motivational interviewing. And the fourth month is about communication. And, uh, each month you get the two modules. And at the end of the month, you sit, you sit in with your mentorship group. And you mm-hmm. have access to them throughout the four months. Wow. So it's more, it's a mentoring program, but also they're learning all at the same time. So mentoring educational type of uh, platform yeah, is what you've but created. More, but more so in mindset and soft skills and critical thinking. It's not like, here's how to be really great clinically. It's like, right. here's the foundation if you want to become an amazing clinician. Because I, I said something the other day that kind of is a testament to why I'm doing this. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's. It's a, it's kind of a long quote, but it's, it goes no like people don't know how much you care until they care how much, you know, but people don't care how much you care until you connect with them. Absolutely. And so many people don't even know how to connect with them. And that's what mm-hmm. healthcare is missing is like our ability to actually listen and, and build good relationships and focusing less on being this ego driven, overly medicalized society and realizing that eight out of 10 people are going to get better on their own. We kind of just need to guide them and you know mm-hmm. help set them up for long-term success so mm-hmm. um yeah so that's it and then the coolest part is so this is where it comes in with letting people know is so we already have basically the 96 students signed up for august mm-hmm. but then what happens is you take a month off in in um, december during finals and then when january hits it's a new wave and now out of those 96 mentees they have an option to opt in to become mentors for the next wave and cohort of students that want to get involved. Oh, that's cool. And that's the way that it's basically going to grow and, and provide just a spark and ignite students to get fired up about being the positive change they want to see in healthcare. Right. It's funny because we have, so uh, obviously I just finished my master's and what we have in the beginning is uh, you have this mentorship program where um, obviously it's like the first semester, the second years, right? The, the class above you, you, they get assigned a student of the first class. So basically, Hey, like, this is what the program is about. If you need any help, um, whether it's through classes or just kind of time management or, Hey, if you need a friend outside of class, yeah. Life I stuff, mean, that, man. yeah. So that kind of reminds me of, of that, but more, more in depth now is, Hey, now it's even more life skills and more like after school stuff. Hey, if you need uh, whatever you need. Hey, th- I have all this experience and you're a sponge. So ask me as many well, questions and, as you need. And that's really what I'm trying to get out of this is like, it's really, I'm trying to get away from it being such a clinical thing. What I'm trying to yeah. help people realize is that there is a certain set of skills that allows you to be successful no matter what you want to do. And that's having the ability to have a growth oriented mindset is step one, the way you look mm-hmm. at things, the way that you handle situations, the way you choose to, re- to react to situations. 
And then just being able to have unbiased, beastly critical thinking skills. And you follow that up with humaning 101, aka being able to actively listen and communicate and build relationships. And it's a wrap. Like mm-hmm. that's literally any any business, any sort of field of work. If you have that skill set, you're gonna kill it. Absolutely. No, absolutely, absolutely, because it's anybody can learn from a textbook, right? But yep. not many people, not many people can one apply that. But more importantly, how can they apply that to a human being? Not every human being is the same way. Not every case is the same way. Like a low back pain uh, can't, you know, can be different because the person that's coming in had a stressful day with their job. I just got divorced. How do you handle that? Right? Absolutely, hand, man. Absolutely. Hand, being able to handle that situation is a whole nother ball game. Obviously, it comes with practice or mentorship or, you know, yeah. certain stuff. But being able to handle that, because now what happens is once you're able to connect with that person on that level, now anything that you do, whether it's exercise prescription or manual therapy or a home exercise program, now they're much more willing to they see the value out of that. Plus, and they're more clear when it comes to that rather than having to deal with everything else on the outside of it. And you know, and you know what else it is, Andy, which is the crazy part is it all boils down to this one thing, belief, mm. right? Yep. Ultimately, relationships and like behavioral psychology boils down to emotion and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing is that when we can get buy-in and they believe us, that's huge. Just the way some people who have negative beliefs about their body, you know, or what we call nocebo are going to be more inclined to experience symptoms and pain. So mm. it's about learning how to leverage this, this ability to evoke emotion in the form of, you know, buying and behavior change, positive behavior change. So, so let's talk a little bit more about that. I think we're getting into a good, and then after this, we'll, we'll cut it off and uh, do a little nice segment. Cause it'll cut us off in, yeah, in about no five minutes. Um, so yeah, t- so talk us talk us a little bit more into I guess this is more like the psychosocial uh, type of uh, movement that you're starting to see, and obviously, as as a clinician and, and as a practitioner, you you understand the importance of it, and some people know it but don't really understand it or how to apply it. So trying well, to kind of go into a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So so here's the thing, right? It's that we understand now more than ever with hard, 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 hard evidence that looking at pain from a purely, and keyword there, purely biomechanical and biomedical perspective is flawed. And it doesn't hold up in the court of logic at all. However, Mm -hmm. explaining it to people from a purely biomedical lens is actually shown to perpetuate pain because of their beliefs. So let me, I'll I'll put it to you like this. I, I talk about one analogy I use a lot that I got from a teacher, which is to showcase the psychosocial emphasis of pain. Okay. Um, let's say, do you, you play baseball, right? I, yes, I did. Yep. All right, so let's link it to baseball. So let's say you're in the World Series, right? Okay. Uh, what's your favorite team? Boston Red Sox. Fuck yeah, dude. Part of my life <laughs> Sox, baby, all day. So let's say, let's say you're in the World Series playing for the Red Sox. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. You just you just hit a, whole, a walk-off home run to win the World Series. Mm-hmm. But on that, on that experience where you're going home and you're touching home plate, you pull a Kendry Morales and you, and you blow out your ACL. Okay? Jeez, right. So now let's flip the script. Now let's say that you're still up. It's the World Series, bottom of the ninth, two outs. You're up into the plate. You swing. You take a huge whiff and you miss. And for whatever reason on that play, you tear, you tear your ACL. Same, similar mechanism. Mm-hmm. In which sense do you think you're going to feel more or less pain? 
The one, Definitely. Just, the one where you just won the World Series or the one where you just lost the World Series? More pain when we lost, for sure. For sure, exactly. It's like a confident for sure because right. we know that emotion can legitimately perpetuate our experience of pain up or down. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what it comes down to is understanding that pain is not an input. We don't have, we don't have pain sensors in our body, you know, as we used to think we did. Because then okay. how do you explain things like phantom limb, phantom limb pain, right? Mm-hmm. How can you sit there and explain phantom limb pain? There's no tissue there, but we st- yet they still experience pain. Right. Right. How do you how do you explain knee replacements? Right. People go in and they get their their path, quote unquote, pathological joint taken out. They get a new joint taken in. Yet these these individuals will have pain years down the road. And because a lot of it is centrally driven. A lot of it right. is an experience. And mm. so what we're learning more and more now is that especially the words that we use, the way we frame things really play into our outcomes, because if people believe these certain, you know, unsubstantiated truths about their body. Um, for example, like if our back can just go out of alignment like that, that's a narrative right. that we hear a lot. That's uh, right. it's, it's, it's all fun and games until it's like, like I literally have people come in who are like, well, I'm scared to move. My chiropractor just adjusted me and um, I just, I don't want to ruin it. I'm scared it's going to go out again. And like, right. that's the type of stuff that, that drives kinesophobia, fear of movement. Right. And that fear of movement and that fear and catastrophization of their of their pain is what drives this negative vicious cycle and you know we wonder why we're in the chronic pain epidemic things haven't changed in decades as a matter of fact the pain epidemic has gotten worse so it's really time that we have a hard look in the mirror and realize that we need to embrace the psychosocial aspects it's not saying Absolutely. that the bio is still very important it still matters so much to be able to weigh whether or not that's important but it doesn't change the way that how we frame it is non-negotiably the most important thing. Right. 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 So you're saying, like we mentioned before, is being able to get the opportunity when it really focus on biomechanics and all that, but really make sure that we're addressing the person and whatever issue they're having, whether psychologically or whatever it is, or the event or the environment or whatever issue they're having at that point to be able to get to the biomechanical portion. But not, but there's, but sometimes there's not biomechanical portions of pain. I see what you're saying. So that's the thing is we try to make it always, but that's not always the case. Like I have a woman Mm. who I'm dealing with right now who has had persistent shoulder pain since a surgery and she got the MRI and her shoulder's totally clean. It looks amazing. Her husband Mm -hmm. died a year ago and, Mm. and she's had the worst year of her fucking life. And, you know, we're sitting here, her doctor's like, Oh, well, your posture sucks. You have a winging scapula. And I would argue how we, it's a coin flip. If you look at a winging scapula, it's a coin flip, whether you're going to guess the side that the person has shoulder pain. Right. So that's not a reliable way to tell. Posture is not a reliable way to tell about pain as a standalone. But the psychosocial biomarkers that come along with posture are more shown to be linked to pain. Depression, anxiety, stress. These -hmm. are all things that can legitimately drive up or down our experience with pain. Mm. it's like the the baseball analogy you showed me or yep. you just uh so having the same issue but having a positive versus a negative experience is going to amplify um that issue exactly we're all placebo so whether we choose to use that for good or evil is up to us wow wow so and then how'd you how'd you get into 
obviously psychosocial started to expand me a lot more. Is that something that you kind of came across? You're like, all right, I'm tired of not seeing no, this. No, or I, I came out of school and I was Mr. Biomedical know-it-all. I came okay. out of school and I was telling people every single dysfunction that was wrong with them. Um, every postural thing that was wrong with them, you know, and, you know, meanwhile, I thought I was doing right by them. It was well-intentioned. Right. And that's the right. issue is that a lot of it is well-intentioned. But then when a mentor of mine, I was asking about Con Ed, he was like, Zach, he's like, what are, because I didn't learn about psychosocial stuff in school, really. Like, we right. had one class on it, but it was a joke. Like, our teacher right. stunk and it was a joke. Everything was all biomedical, this and that. And this one mentor of mine was like, Zach, what do people come into you for? Like, what's the number one thing? And I was like, I don't know, pain. He was like, yeah, learn about that. Learn how to sprinkle that in. Like, pain science isn't an intervention. It's a framework for helping us understand why things work. And it draws heavily on the biopsychosocial model and understanding how they all play together. And so when he said that to me and I started to realize how the things I was saying to clients were not only like I wasn't helping, I was hurting because maybe mm-hmm. it helps in the short term, but then they have these beliefs long term that they're like these fragile things that can just go out of place or that mm-hmm. these dysfunctions contribute to pain. How do you explain the Special Olympics where these some of these kids have, you know, deformed postures, yet they're that but they're performing at high levels with no pain. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where people in the, the posture police and the movement police would have a, you know, a fit because it's not perfect. So right. Some of the world's most elite runners overpronate. <gasps> oh my God. They overpronate and they have no pain. It's because the body is extremely adaptable. Now there's right. there's a line in the sand where I'm not gonna go around telling everyone to run with overpronation. You know, like mm-hmm. there needs to be a line where we talk about optimal mechanics for performance. But that's right. different from when we're dealing with folks who have pain. And it's not fair to just say, Oh, yep, you have misaligned hips, no wonder you have pain. Like right. we we we've shown that numerous times to not be true but not only is it not true us telling them that can literally perpetuate their pain right and that's the issue that i have it's one thing to be outdated it's another thing when it legitimately contributes to the pain epidemic i guess now the question is okay we found we know what psychosocial is and we know how important it is compared to uh i wouldn't say it's more important it's it's all intertwined right but now we're trying to let's say for example someone is listening and like okay cool i understand the importance of it how can I implement it? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it starts with it starts with the language. You know, it starts with the narratives that we're feeding and starting to update yourself a little bit about it because, you know, let's say, um, you know, someone comes in and they're like, you know, well, my, my doctor told me that I have plantar fasciitis because I have really flat feet and he told me to get these $500 orthotics. You know, that's where you're like, okay, like, you know, we look at posture, we understand that it, it has a weak correlation to pain, but let's take a look at that and learn how to control it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's, it's getting away from demonizing things. Right. Because at the end of the day, I think this is an important concept to understand. Pain, pain is a threat. Pain is an, is an expression, right? It's something we feel, but it's based off of our body feeling threatened or safe. Right. right? So, so an analogy that my friend Mike got from Lauren Ramosley that I love, but it's basically, let's, let's do it like this. So let's say, let's, let's, let's go back and we could talk about some, some low back pain for a second. Okay. Okay. So let's say that you are doing some, let's say you're doing some deadlifting and you're someone that has no knowledge about any of this stuff. And let's say you feel a little tweak in your low back. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the stimulus. So here's the analogy. 
imagine that you're at home right now and you hear an unsettling noise outside. Okay. Right. So in situation one, that unsettling noise you hear, you remember an hour ago that you just ordered a pizza. Okay. Right. Right. But now in situation two, you didn't order a pizza, but you saw on the news an hour earlier that there was a spree of burglaries around your house. Right. Same stimulus. In which situation do you think you're going to feel more threatened or which situation do you think you're going to feel more safe? For sure. The second one, you think he's a, mur- a burglar. Exactly. So when we don't understand what's going on and we always think that there's a tissue problem and that we're these fragile creatures, we feel threatened. Our right. body feels threatened and our brain is going to be more inclined to upregulate this experience that is pain. So simply by using more empowering language and framing things in a better way, we're able to decrease threat. And we're able to increase confidence and self-efficacy with treatments. It's funny you say that because I had a similar podcast with uh, science. Yeah. Uh, and he was talking about nocebos and we went through like what pain science is and stuff like that. Um, and uh, one thing I mentioned to him, I was like, it's really hard. Obviously, we're talking about like posture and biomechanics and movement. I'm like, it's really hard once you see something, let's say knee valgus with the lunge or squat or you see poor posture. Like, okay, how can I take what I'm seeing objectively or in front of me? How can I say, can, how can I, t- how, how can I take that and frame it in a way or, in a way where it's not uh, mongering or fear? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great question. So, so that's, that's where I, and I'm sure other people have kind of like, obviously I know the psychosocial, I know that like the, uh, the, the pain matrix and all that stuff. And how, okay, how, how can I communicate with this person what I'm seeing and then the treatment or the plan to could go forward without telling them, hey, you have all these issues and these, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. So like, let's say you have that person who's like valgusing on their squad or whatever, right? Right. So you say, look, you know what? Like that's, that's, one, that's one option. Here's, you know, when it comes to performance, there's a couple of things we like to stay true to, which we know can help, which is like making sure the knee is lined up with the toe. Now, okay. if you valgus, in, in life sometimes like that's okay. But when it comes to performance, like we might not want to do that as much, but you know, it's, it's saying it in like a calmer demeanor where it's like, don't do that. It's never, that's not an option. Like I always like to bring it back to, we want to give our body options. We want to have mm-hmm. movement variability, mm-hmm. you know, because when we have more, like if that's the only option, you know, like, so, so that brings us to like the whole spinal flexion debate, right? right. Where it's like, you see someone flex their spine during a deadlift. And we're like, oh, no, never do that, da 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 And look, you know, I get it. When it comes to coaching up the deadlift, we want to minimize that. But if right. someone comes in with back pain and I'm teaching them how to hip hinge, I'm like, look, you know, be, you should be able to bend over and, and pick things up without being scared. Your body's strong as heck. Right. However, here's another option for you to have. to use, learn how to leverage your hamstrings and your glutes, which are really strong muscles. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because a lot of times they don't have that other movement option. So it ends up becoming a repetitive stress injury because mm-hmm. they only know knee valgus or they only know lumbar flexion. Like right. when they learn how to have other options, it can help to manage the cumulative stress in the, in the ecosystem. Does absolutely. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that's a good way to frame it though, you know, by, by bringing it back to this notion of giving them options and, get, and improving their movement index. Okay. It, it comes down to educating, yeah. not, not scaring them, not telling them, hey, this is what I see in my hate. This is, this is, this is what I'm seeing in front of me, but this is how, this is where we're going to go. And this is what it's, you know, there's a more efficient way of doing things. And this is kind of where you're at. The idea is to teach you 
um, some proper uh, movement mechanics, like you said, to give you a little bit more uh, options um, so that you can learn those patterns or learn those movements so that whenever you need to use them, you pull them out of your toolbox and you're able to use them without having the scare or being scared that you're going to ex explode or blow up. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, and it's understanding, you know, that's where it's like gets tricky where it's like, so how are we getting to that point? Are we saying like, oh, well, you're valgusing because your IT band is really tight and we need to release that. And, you know, I need to break up these adhesions right now. Right. You know what I mean? So that's a whole another realm where we need to make sure that our narratives, because manual therapy has its place without a doubt. Correct. But it's important that we're careful of the narratives we use when we utilize them. Because mm -hmm. we know that manual therapy is based in short-term neurological changes, and that's okay. absolutely that's okay as long as it's creating a window. Right, it's creating a window. So as long as they know that, I'm so okay with the whole manual therapy thing. Mm -hmm. Like I personally don't use it as much because, like for me, it you know in a PT sense, it really builds this dependency issue. Right, they feel like they need it, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, like they really probably don't it depends mm -hmm. on what their context is like when it comes to performance and like maintenance and you know that's one that's a whole nother discussion but when it comes right. to like your person with chronic low back pain arguably one of the worst things i could do is put my hands on him right because then he's gonna expect that this is his fix mm -hmm. whereas it's about activity modifications and positive behavior changes i think uh i remember mike saying this one uh mike stella i don't know if you follow mike stella atc um, great guy. He's an athletic trainer over in New York. Okay. Uh, big, big manual therapy guy. And he talks about obviously his thing is manual therapy, but long corrective exercise and stuff. Like he's like, first of all, uh, I mean, I think I believe this as well. I was like, whoever's coming to me, I'm not gonna fix them. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna help. I'm gonna help guide them, guide them, and facilitate uh, whatever issues they're having. And then my my use of manual therapy is just to create a temporary, like you said, a temporary change. Is to create sensory input. So at that point, maybe either to decrease pain a little bit, but the ideal, the ideal situation is to get them from the table to the movement um, and under, help them understand that. Once, once they can understand that, whether it's movement patterns, educational stuff, or some, some exercises that they need to do to kind of to, to emphasize some of the issues they're having, that's what's really going to create the change, not the manual therapy. Manual therapy is just going to help them create that change, uh, maybe decrease some pain or whatever it is, whether you use tape or whatever whatever modality you use. Is the idea is to create that temporary change or neurological window to 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 facilitate the movement, which is, at the end of the day is what they're going to be able to learn and produce more often than the actual hands-on manual therapy. Well, yeah, and then so definitely, and let me. This is, and this isn't even a challenge. I want to give you another perspective as well to understand. Perfect. So, you know, we talk a lot about like facilitating all that stuff. Now you have that person that comes to you with, you know, I don't, I don't even like to use the word chronic anymore. I changed it. Right. To persistent. persistent. Yeah. Um, because it's just a way less threatening word than chronic. Mm -hmm. Chronic sounds mm -hmm. shitty. It sounds helpless. It sounds like right. I'm never going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Persistence give us, gives us hope. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, you have that person that comes in with like five years of persistent back pain. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to take a hard look at their, what are they doing in the, their environment? Like right. how much time are they spending in? I don't care about perfect posture because there is no such thing. Right. But how much time are they spending in static postures? Mm -hmm. How much time are they staying in a certain posture for a prolonged time? How much activity are they doing in their day to day? What mm -hmm. kind of activity are they doing in their day to day? What are their beliefs about posture and pain and all of this? Because to me, 
that's number one thing I have to address is that when I can address the environment and activity modifications and some of their mindset and beliefs, then I'll get more into like the manual therapy and, and the movement, and, the movement all that. and all that stuff. But it starts with understanding and getting buy-in to getting positive behavior change. Cause at the end of the day, you know, they're with you. I give them the 99 and one rule. I'm like, you're yep. with me a generous amount of time, 1% of the week at most. And that's being generous. Yep, you don't yep. understand what you're doing. The other 99%, this short-term neurological window and then 40 minutes of movement after ain't doing shit for long-term changes. Yes, sir. Yeah. Like it's just not. So if we're not mm -hmm. educating them on long-term management, we're missing the boat. Absolutely. You hit it around the head. So that's, that's my whole thing. And that's my whole push is it certainly isn't sexy to, um, to educate them about like activity modifications and, and challenging their beliefs in a positive way. But that's the stuff when I tell you I'm on a mission to help change healthcare in a positive way. Like that's the stuff I want to see. Cause that's 100%. the stuff that's, that's going to help improve long-term outcomes with persistent pain and cut healthcare costs in half. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's like you mentioned they're with either a clinician or whoever is helping them, uh, even call it a personal trainer, a strength coach or whatever, yeah. who, whoever they're with, barely the amount of time that they're with either at work or with their family or at home, like that's where they're spending the majority of the time. So, it, I mean, it makes sense, like you just mentioned, is to see what they're doing 90% of the time and how that can be um, affecting whatever issue they're having. I think, and then most importantly, I think one of the issues we talked about earlier is what most people aren't getting into or maybe just don't know how to manage it or, 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 or confront it is the psychosocial part, like the social, you know, the psychology part, portion of it is, well, hey, yeah. did, you, did you have a certain issue that happened not too long ago or are you going through something right now that might be uh, amplifying this issue or whatever? Right, and that's where I get really, really, really upset when I see accounts that are like, well, like, you know, they're not taking into account this stuff, but they say, well, if your posture is like this, you're going to get pain. Or if your hips are imbalanced, you're going to get pain. And I'm like, no, but if you tell them that, like, then they might actually be more likely to actually experience pain. Right. If they believe that that's the fix. That's a load of unsupported BS. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, just sometimes, maybe that might be relevant, but I can tell you that addressing their environment and and educating them is the number one tool that's going to empower them long term right because they can they can quote unquote air air quote fix their hips but if they're still doing the same exact shit in their environment they're going to get right back into whatever situation they're in yep is that habit the lifestyle that they that yeah. created that we and we facilitate positive behavior change that's like my that's my mo that's what i try to do on a daily basis Positive behavior change. Posit I, I, I use emotion and I use, my, I use my charisma and my ability to connect with humans to facilitate positive behavior change. And, and would you say that's, that's kind of like your whole drive of uh, level up initiative? Yep. Is learning how to leverage emotion for good and not evil. Well-intentioned well evil, I should say. And trying to, and trying to teach um, other, other clinicians or really anyone that wants to, to learn yep. how to how to how to read people how to obviously there's those soft skills that we're talking about that communicative yep. and leverage what they have and what they can offer by using this type of approach yeah absolutely and and at the end of the day the crazy thing is is that this is the approach that's like you know at the end of the day andy like i'm using science to be less wrong on a daily basis right and i know that using a purely biomedical framework for treatment is just it's it's wrong it's not mm -hmm. supported it's been proven wrong time and time and time and time and time again. 
yet mm-hmm. we still see pushback because people have built up their whole shebang on it. And it's really hard to change and it's really hard to be challenged. We get cognitive dissonance. But at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. it's, why are we in this in the first place? It's a service profession. Right. It goes beyond us. It, right. It's about us putting our best foot forward, being critical of our own thought processes and being able to define and being able to defend them in logic court. Like if I if I took a handful of people on social media to logic court, they would spend life in prison. I mean, here's here's another thing, right? It's it's a lot easier to point out somebody's deficiencies and biomechanical deficiencies than it is to have a conversation with them Absolutely. and and tell them, hey, like these are the stuff that you're doing, or hey, tell me about that issue you had, or tell me about whatever is going on. It's a lot harder of a conversation to have that than it is to be point out and point out, hey, you have weakness here, deficiency here, bad posture here. This is what we're gonna do. So, and, and again, it's, it it goes back to having people like yourself. Um, create an initiative like level up and, and just, and just drive that home and, and teach others. Right. And but, but Andy, it also takes, that's why I'm pumped to be here. Cause it also takes people like yourself, like you having the balls to have this conversation because there's people that won't even have this conversation. Cause trust me, I've tried, but there's people <laughs> that won't, are not even willing to hear this other side of it. Cause they're just so fixed in their ways and refuse to acknowledge the hard, hard, hard evidence. Right. And here's the thing. I don't know it all. I'm, I'm continuous learning. Like, just like I I just learned. (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) So it would, it would, it would, it would be a disservice not only to the people that I work with and the people that I I plan to work with in the future, whoever wants to uh, get help or whatever, but also to me, like, this is something that I'm very passionate about. And and I, obviously you are too. So just continue learning. We're all, we all don't have the answers, but together we're better. Absolutely. And, And at the end of the day, it always comes back to look, your approach, you should be able to explain the, the rationale behind your approach. And if that, if that shit doesn't hold up in logic court, like then you need to have a hard look and you need to realize where you can get better. And you need right. to realize where maybe you're doing a, you're doing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my whole thing is we should all be held to the same standard. Like I always think to myself, some of the most beastly critical thinkers in physical therapy and healthcare, I always think to myself, what would they say if I was doing this treatment? You know, I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day and be okay ethically with what I do. Absolutely. And if I can't defend what I'm doing, then I've done a disservice. Absolutely. Well, Zach, I, this has been, man, I'll be here for another three hours Yo, if, bro, if you I let know, me. It, it, it flies by when you're having fun. So I, the hardest part about all this is cutting off. It's like, all right, yeah. all right, all right. We're going to stop right here. So yeah. with that being said, we'll, we'll stop right here. I think this has been just such an awesome episode. I think whoever's listening um, is just going to, it's just going to get so much out of this. And again, what I do want to end up with is just give them, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier, but just going to shout it out again, where they can find you, uh, the leveled up in- initiative. You want to give yeah. any, anything else about that before we go? Yeah, no. So uh, basically you can find me on Instagram at simple strength physio and also at the level up initiative. And uh, yeah, man, just keeping it real and educating. And I really appreciate you having me on. This was really fun getting to connect. And I'm a big, I'm a big Andy fan and supporter. So um, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Keep doing you and just being open-minded to learn because we don't know it all, but we can always get better by learning from each other. 
Absolutely. That's a 100%. Again, I can't thank you enough for your time and just jumping on here. And uh, I know this is probably your lunchtime, so I appreciate it. All good, man. It's That's what it's all about, because if one person hears this and benefits from it, then it's worth my time. Yes, sir. It's all about impact. And again, thank you again, Zach. All right, bud? Let's get it, man. Hold up. Talk to you soon.